Welcome back to Mint Condition, a baseball card podcast where we each bring a baseball card from our collection, give each other hints, and do a deep dive on the player's career. I'm Robbie Greenspan, joined as always by Chris Barranco. Chris, my friend, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. Um, yeah, it's been a good day, and uh, when doing research on my card, I found out a lot of good stuff that made me like this player a bit more, so I'm excited to talk about my player. How about you? Yeah, mine... Mine is someone that I've like. I was like, oh, I don't know much about, so I figured I would I would dive in and very interesting. I got I got some thoughts. Yeah, nice. Well, you can go ahead and go first this week. I think I probably went first last week. I'm not sure. So uh, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to get into it. Sounds good. So I have a 2001 Dodger. Okay. Uh, he played 19 years, from 1986 to 2005. Okay. Uh, oh, he's a pitcher. Um, and he played for the Rangers, Orioles, Marlins, Padres, Dodgers, Yankees. So another one where last week I realized with Chan Ho Park, it was another pitcher who pitched a while and pitched for both the Dodgers and the Yankees. That was a connection I didn't even realize. But, yeah. So Rangers, Orioles... Dodgers, Royals, Yankees? Yes. Yes, I believe that's the order. I might have a little off, but yeah. Oh, man, I, this is... Orioles and Yankees, I feel like I should get it. Um, yeah, th- that's like such a unique combination of teams. Uh, yeah, I guess I need more hints. Any nicknames? No, and I would also say this is one that I wouldn't have gotten. I don't know that much about him. Uh, what they're known for... Probably number one, first player to ever have a $100 million contract in the major leagues. Wow. Yeah. That is, like, number one. Um, I would say some other things they had, I don't know if this is what they are best known, or here I'll say this, uh, their 1996 season with the, at that point, Florida Marlins, is the, was an ERA plus of 215. The twenty seventh best pitching season ever. Okay, so I, I definitely do know this person's name because they sound very relevant. Um, but yeah, I'm just really blank. Um, so, what years did they play for the Orioles? Orioles was. I don't know why that what? would help. They sound like I can tell just you before our time. Like they sound like I just missed them. Yes. So again, it's one that. I was like, yeah, I know the name, but I did not know any of these things about him. I would not be able to guess this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they played they played for the Yankees in 0405. So that S- might help. Sydney Ponson? <laughs> no, oh god, if only it was Sydney Ponson. I know we yeah, got so the Orioles, Orioles and Yankees there. Yeah, Orioles is 95. I can tell you uh, another thing that they're known for, especially as a Yankees fan. They I think got the loss in game 7 of the 04 playoffs, 04 series against the Red Sox, I believe. Okay. Um, it's not like David Wells or anything, is it? No, it is. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Kevin Brown. Okay, yeah, I know the name. Oh, that makes sense. Um, I would not have guessed. Uh, yeah, it makes sense hearing that, but I would not have guessed really from any of that. Like, I didn't know he made that much yeah. money or anything. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he's very interesting. So 
my knowledge of Kevin Brown came almost exclusively from when I talked about Chan Ho Park last week, uh-huh. as Chan Ho Park, Kevin Brown, there are a couple others, some of the only starters to start against every, all 30 teams in the major leagues. Uh, so yeah. in my head, he was going to be like Chan Ho Park. A couple of good years, but kind of a career journeyman. Uh, Kevin Brown was a star for a little bit. Yeah. And so I was talking with my dad about it, and my dad was like, ah, he had one good year, got a huge contract, and was terrible. I was like, oh, okay. Not really the case. So his big thing that he's remembered for is that first player to ever get the $100 million contract. Seven years, $105 million with the Dodgers. Um, and that was in 1999, and it was seen as like a huge overpay. It's hard to tell. I was trying to figure it out uh, who else was bidding against him and, or like bidding for him. The Orioles were one of them, it looks like. I think the Rockies, but like what they were offering. And so like one of the reports was that no other team went above like 80 or $85 million. So the 105 was like a crazy overpay. Mm-hmm. But he had come off, this was his run uh, when they signed him. It was, so he had been with the Marlins before. And he, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll just say he was six-time All-Star. I guess I'll just go into the whole thing and then I'll get into it. So six-time All-Star. And his career war is 67.8, which is high. Yeah. Uh, 211 and 144 in his career with a 3.28 ERA and an ERA plus of 127. So 27% better than the average pitcher. Uh, six in the rookie of the year, had a six-time All-Star. Uh, and his, he had some great seasons. So his first All-Star appearance in 92 is with the Rangers. 21 and 11 with a 3.32 ERA, led the league in innings pitched, batters faced, hits allowed as well, but uh, ERA plus of 116, Came sixth in Cy Young. 96 was his next one. 17 and 11 with a 1.89 ERA. Wow. And that was the one where he had ERA plus of 215. Second in Cy Young. A war of 7.9. So like an MVP caliber season. And then 97. 16 and 8. 2.69 ERA. ERA plus of 150. War of 7. 98 with the Padres. It was basically after the Marlins won in 97. They tore it down. Goes to the Padres. 18 and 7, 2.38 ERA, ERA plus of 164, led the league in FIP, third in Cy Young, war of 8.6. So, yeah, guess what? I don't blame the Dodgers for signing him. Yeah. He was unreal. He went on that, that tear. So those three years, 96 through 98, finished, I don't think he finished outside the top six in Cy Young and twice was in the top three. I am so glad you brought this card because... I never knew any of this. Like, and that's a decent stretch of elite pitching. A hundred percent. So the big thing about it. So again, his other two uh, all-star game or all-star appearances in 2000 with the Dodgers. He went 13 and six, 2.5 ADRA, ERA plus of 167. Led the league in WHIP and strikes per walk. Uh, six and Cy Young, WAR of seven. 2003 with the Dodgers, 14 and nine. 2.39 ERA, ERA plus of 169, and a war of 4.5. So he, he again, elite stretch when he was signed with the Dodgers. The big thing about it, other than first one to be $100 million, it was he was 34 years old. So signing a 34-year-old pitcher to a seven-year contract isn't good. Historically, never works out, and it didn't here. His body broke down. Oh, but I can't fully blame them for going all in on him. Like, he... It's, it's, uh, we now know, like, you just, you can't give him that much money. But I would say it's similar to Justin Verlander, 
like Zach Granke, some of these guys who have had these huge contracts. And like, I don't know. It doesn't always work out, but I get it. He was unbelievable. If you're in a win-now mode, that's not a bad signing. Yeah. And that's so that, that's, that's the other thing is, again, he's remembered like, God, he just did not perform. He was traded to the Yankees, I think, like five years into his contract. His, his body broke down. He had some injuries. And so there's this idea that he just, it was a horrible sign. It's often listed as like one of the worst free agent signings in history. Hmm. He averaged only nine wins per season during this deal. You're not paying $100 million, especially back then. But the argument for the, the contract, as I said, that three-year stretch, so he was led the league in ERA, third in innings pitched, he had a really high strikeout rate, and got a lot of ground balls, which was like, that's a really good combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, his new contract's average annual value of $15 million was slightly higher than Mo Vaughn or Albert Bell. Which like, okay. <laughs> so a lot, but like, all right, I'm fine with that. Uh, and then it talks about how they... Using different metrics, they paid $73.6 million for him before they traded him. And based on how much value a win is worth, they got $63.5 million back from the market value. So yeah, it was a deficit of about $10 million, but okay, when you're a team like the Dodgers, you can take that. If you're a team like the Rockies or the Orioles, I get it, that's a bigger deal. But okay, yeah, he had some he, two all-star games. Yeah, like it's it was not a good deal, but I think that it's overstated as how bad it was just because of at the time, like, that's so much money. And so it talks about his key statistics. Or I guess I'll, I'll talk about it more later when I make I make the pitch for him. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I just, that was my big thing. Did not know how dominant Kevin Brown was. Yes, I did not know that at all. Um, and I kind of do think that people are uh, being a bit dramatic about his contract. Um I get it was, I guess, a bust, but, uh, I mean, yeah, if you're a team that's looking to win now, and I guess I don't know what the Dodgers were like at that time, but, yeah, they're the Dodgers. Like, they have some money to spend, and uh, with with that much, like, how good he was, like, that, like, good pitching is almost priceless, so if you have a chance to sign a guy like that, I mean. Yeah, like, we... We did not. We were not shocked when Garrett Cole got all that money. I was like, "Well, yeah, you pay for top pitching, and that's yeah. that's what it is." Yeah. The the big things again. The first one to be a hundred million was a big deal, and also this was coming pretty soon off the uh, MLB strike and just all the different issues. I guess we're a couple of years away, but there was not a lot of trust between fans, players, front offices, huh. and it was seen as like kind of the turning point in my opinion based on what i read of players are now their market value is what their market value is and we don't have to worry about as much of loyalty not like we don't worry about that anymore but yeah play the best players are gonna make a lot of money now when bryce harper manny machado uh, mike trout get that money no one's like well not no one baseball fans aren't like that is absurd it's like well yeah i mean that's that's how it works so but i think this was the first one that the common fan in that era was like, what is going on? How could he be making this much money? But look, I stand by Kevin Brown. I think, I agree, you don't give a 34-year-old pitcher seven years, but if it was a five-year contract and he got $80 million, like I wouldn't be offended. 
Yeah, his age is the, that's a good point to bring that up again. That is like that is surprising, but yeah, and, and uh, yeah, five year deal wouldn't be that bad there. And like we were saying about like Verlander and Grinky, of course, different time. I don't know what Kevin Brown pitched like, but pitchers can be productive over like thirty five years old. I'm like a hitter, like you definitely want to want to give an outfielder or something that deal. But um, yeah, and it's also something that we've talked about before. If he gets you one World Series, the deal is probably worth it. Yeah. It's worth it's worth it. So yes, to me, like the last three four years, not going to be good. But you're paying for the first three years, and yeah, if he gets you there, it's it's worth it. You yeah. deal with the ramifications later. Yes, definitely agree. Um, so I would also just say, like, one of the reasons that I think now it's looked back upon very poorly, or and even so, he was named the Metro Report for steroids. Uh, so I think, and that's potentially why his body broke down. Uh, so between that and he was not known as being a very good teammate, he was just kind of like a jerk. So I think that's what it is. My feeling on the steroids is, I mean, I'm not in favor of it, but a lot of players were doing it. I mean, that is the steroid era. He was dominant during the steroid era. It's similar to Roger Clemens. I'm not saying he's nearly as good. Obviously, Roger Clemens is a much better pitcher. But yeah, I think that he he's looked looked back upon unfavorably. Yeah, I'm almost. I almost get less upset when pitchers take steroids because I would like back in that era because it's like, well, yeah, they were probably. I mean, all the hitters they're facing are yeah. using steroids. Yeah. Um, but uh, okay, yeah, that that was really interesting. I'm glad you brought that. I knew nothing about Kevin Brown, and we'll definitely talk about him some more. But uh, yeah, give me give me yours. Yeah. So, um, not the hardest card guess, but. Some fun stuff to say about the card. Uh, so it's a 2006 Rockies card, left fielder. Years played 2004 to 2018. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez? No, not Carlos Gonzalez. He played um, for so the. It's not, Tro- it's not Tro- Troy Tulowitzki. It's uh, this is not Charlie Blackman. I don't know. Give me the others. Yeah, so left fielder, Colorado Rockies, Oakland A's, St. Louis Cardinals, New York Yankees. Give me those teams again. So the Rockies, A's, Cardinals, Yankees, Rockies. You went back um, to the Rockies. Okay, I know I know this player. You're going to be kicking yourself. <laughs> um, um. His nicknames are Big Daddy and the Stillwater Stinger. Well, that that does nothing for me. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, trying to think. It's not Matt Holiday. Oh, is it Matt Holiday? It's Matt okay. Holiday. Okay. Okay, good. I was getting stressed. Um, yeah, it is, it is a bit deceiving. Um, what if I told you that the Stillwater Stinger is what gave it to me? And I was like, oh yeah, Matt Holiday, of course. Still, yeah, all right, that that gets it. Yeah, that was uh, he went to Stillwater High School in Oklahoma, so yeah, we wouldn't have gotten that. Okay, okay, I feel better. I was getting stressed. Yeah, you got it, you got it. Um, so Matt Holiday, seven-time All Star, 2011 World Series champ, four-time Silver Slugger, 2007 batting champion. And the 2007 NLCS MVP. So, 
Good wow, accolades. Those are good numbers. Those are very good numbers. Yeah, good stuff to hang on your wall. Um, that's some good, like, just good highlights, like things you can say. Um, yeah. He had a career 44.4 war in 15 seasons. Okay. He hit 316 home runs, 2,096 hits, 299 career batting average. I would say all of those except the batting average. The hits and the home runs are a bit lower than I would have thought for him. Yeah. But but what was higher than what I thought was he had an 889 OPS and a 132 career OPS+. plus. That's impressive. Yeah, an 889 career OPS is really good. So he just got on base. Yeah, and that's something I never knew about him. Like, I knew he had some pop. He was a good hitter. Yeah. But he was very patient, uh, could get a lot of walks. Um, so definitely very valuable in today's game. Yeah. He was second in MVP in 2007. That year he had a 6.0 war. He hit 340. That was his batting title. He led the NL in hits with 216, doubles with 50, RBIs with 137, and he led all of the majors with 386 total bases, uh, and he hit that's, 36 homers that year. That's a phenomenal year. Yeah. That's a phenomenal year. Really good hitting, and uh, he lost the MVP to Jimmy Rollins, who... Uh, had about the same war, and I didn't go into his stats for that year, but it seemed like, uh, based on war alone, like, okay, it was probably pretty fair. Like, uh, okay. Jimmy he, Rollins. God, if you brought that card, I'd be, I would, I, now I want to learn more about Jimmy Rollins. That's a, that's a good name. Yeah, he might be on the pod one day, because I do have some cards of him and uh, thought about that. We'll bring his card to the pod, or you're going to invite him on the pod to, to you know, guest host it? Uh, you know, uh, whatever works with Jimmy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy, come on the pod. Yeah. Matt Holiday got MVP votes in seven other seasons. Uh, he was consistently well over 100 in OPS+. The only year in his 15-year career where he wasn't was when he was with the Yankees in 2017. He was 37, and he had a 95 OPS+. plus. So, you know, it was still right there. Yeah. And uh, he bounced back at age 38 in his final year in the league with Colorado. He went back to them. He had 116 OPS plus. So uh, really productive until the end, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's very impressive. Um, I see that last year in Colorado, he didn't play that much. Um, but he only played like 25 games. But still, the fact that he can still hit is... I respect. Okay, I'll admit, I didn't look at games played. Uh, that definitely <laughs> changes things. Um, hey, in 25 games, he was above average. I got no qualms with that. Yeah, yeah, he's still, it's still a stat, so. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's all about cherry picking what we want. That's that's cool, yeah. My first impression of Matt Holiday when you just said it was like, yeah, like a real power hitter. Although I guess that's not really the case. He was not a power hitter. He was, he could hit for power, but he was a contact hitter. Yeah, I apologize. I should have asked you what you like thought of him before I went into that because I was the same way. I thought maybe he'd have over 400 home runs. Yeah. But no, he was like an on-base. I mean, he had pop, but uh, he wasn't like a slugger. Like, well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I would have guessed like a couple years with 40 or more and then like, you know, seven years with 35 or more. But like, no. Well, no, he had 
one year above 35, and other than that, he was in the 20s and just got on base a lot. That That's very interesting. I also feel like that helps his case for the the cores effect, like, oh, well, you know, he can hit better than, I don't know. But my feeling is, if you're hitting a bunch of home runs, then you can look at it more like the ball's getting up. But he was just, he's just getting on base. He's just getting on base. Yeah, I'm sure there's people with cores effect arguments for him, but uh, he did, you know, of course, play in Oakland and St. Louis, and, like, he was a pr- good player there, probably, like, the same. Uh, yeah. Just glancing at his stats, I don't see any difference, really. So, um yeah, I think he was just a, a really good hitter. And uh, I had the same exact impression of you as that he was just like a power slugger, but that's not him. Um, one thing I do want to mention is he wasn't really a good fielder. Negative 18 total runs above average in his career and negative 45 defensive runs saved. So negative. Um, <laughs> yeah, negative. That's fair. Negative all around. But uh, yeah, I think we kind of hit the stats I wanted to talk about there. So um just surprising, a bit eye-opening stats for both Kevin Brown and Matt Holliday, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. I, I, I also liked Matt Holliday. I think Colorado just has some cool players. Again, like when Tulowitzki was getting there, like just a couple players where it's like, oh, they're fun to play. I think in some ways it's similar to Mike Trout, where because they're on my TV so infrequently because of where they play, Anytime I can see them, I, I I more just see their highlights, so I just assume they're always doing that. So, yeah, I like learning more about those players. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, do you have any stories or things to say about Kevin Brown? Yes. So, I'll, I'll first mention, yes, he was named the Mitchell Report for HGH and another one I don't know. Uh, he was known for being a tough teammate. Uh, he broke his hand punching a wall in 04 with the Yankees. In 06, he allegedly brandished a firearm at his neighbor during an argument. Ooh. So, not great. Not great. There's some suggestion that he had a lot of... Inc- those incidents are basically roid rage. I don't know. I'm just reading what, what Bill Plaschke wrote. Don't come at me, Kevin Brown. But <laughs> just going back to his numbers, and I'm going to make the case that he deserved better for the Hall of Fame vote. He was on the on the ballot for one year, got 2.1% of the vote, and was off. And I think he deserved better. So, as I said, one of the handful of players start against all 30 teams, but only seven players, and I'm, some of these are definitely cherry-picked, I get it, but only seven players have won between 200 and 220 wins with an ERA plus between 120 and 135. So basically, consistently got wins and were above average. Five of them, or... Four of them are in the Hall of Fame. John Smoltz, Don Drysdale, Hal Newhauser, and Stan Kowaleski. I don't know him. Are in the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling isn't, which is why I was, told you I was looking up Kurt Schilling. That's a pretty apt comp. Eddie Sicott, who was with the Black Sox and didn't get him for that reason. but So he's right there. Right on the border of people who should get in. I think his peak, those that three-year run, is some of the best that we've we've seen. And talk about how his key statistics, 3,256 innings pitched at an ERA uh, 27% better than league average. Near those are Kurt Schilling. They meet Cooperstown's, uh, Cooperstown's established standards. 33rd in career war for pitchers. There's 65 pitchers in the Hall of Fame. So he could get in based on that. They talk about the average career war for a pitcher is 
he's at 67.8. So a little bit below, but right there. The seven-year peak, which is another way they do it, for most pitchers in the Hall of Fame, is 50. He's 45.2. So a little bit below, but right there. Jaws, for a Hall of Fame pitcher, 61.6. He's 56.5. So as I'm saying, he's right there. You could, I understand you could say, well, he's below it. I don't know if I would necessarily argue he should get in, but I think that he should have been on the ballot for a number of years. Yes, that is my takeaway too. Um, that is like really way better than I ever would have imagined, um, as I've said repeatedly now about Kevin Brown. But exactly, like, okay, maybe he doesn't get in, but only to get 2.7% of the votes and be gone is absurd. Like, that is nowhere near what he deserved. Yeah, so that's, I'm with you. That's what really, like, got me thinking. And the person that I thought of first, so I'll say his similarity scores. Bob Welsh, who I don't know, Tim Hudson, who we've briefly mentioned, one of the Oakland Big Three, uh, Oral Hershiser, who had a dominant stretch, Don Drysdale. Three of his top seven are Hall of Famers, Don Drysdale, Catfish Hunter, and Dazzy, Dazzy Vance, who's classic Cardinal. And so my feeling is you look at those people around him, he should have gotten a better look. And then the person I thought that he was most similar to, Kurt Schilling is the one that they mentioned. I thought Andy Pettit of like, oh you know, in the game for a lot number of years, had a couple really good years, so how they compare. Kevin Brown has a higher war by about 7, and a higher ERA plus by about 10, a lower ERA, 3.28-3.85, where Andy Pettit gets him one better record, 256 and 153, Kevin Brown's 211 and 144, but basically where Pettit gets it is the postseason. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Pettit's thing. They both had, Pettit was five top six Cy Young finishes, Kevin Brown is six, but the five rings for Andy Pettit, you know, I think that's why he stuck around longer being in New York. But my feeling is if, if we switched Pettit and Kevin Brown, I think that Kevin Brown's a Hall of Famer. Yes, I think you make a good point. I mean, Andy Pettit just has the New York effect and being on those great yeah. teams with such high-powered offenses. So that explains his wins, probably. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that is a significant ERA, um, I guess... I don't know, maybe like Andy Pettit did pitch like Yankee Stadiums, like a hitter's park, but like um, that like 382 versus like a 32 is pretty significant. Um, I think you, like, I agree. Like if you switch Kevin Brown and Andy Pettit, uh, Kevin Brown could get in and Andy Pettit probably won't get in, but he'll be around probably longer than Kevin Brown was. Yeah, because Pettit also has steroid allegations. Exactly, yes. So like, and another thing for Pettit, similar to Kurt Schilling, the two things that will put them higher postseason. Pettit also nineteen and eleven with a three point eight one ERA. That's a, that's a good postseason. Like I mean, that's a very good postseason career. But I'd argue that he had one of the best teams behind him for a number of years. So he got a lot of opportunities. So I don't know. I think Schilling, Pettit, Kevin Brown, all all very similar. And it's peculiar to me that Kevin Brown was a one and done on the ballot. Yeah, and uh, postseason stats too. I mean, for guys like Andy Pettit, who did pitch a lot in the postseason, um, I that like that's impressive, and that maybe that can be considered. But it's such a small sample size, um, and I, I don't think you can use it as like a way to be against people getting the Hall of Fame. If yeah. you know what I'm saying, like you can't be like, oh, Kevin Brown didn't have the postseason stats; like he didn't have the opportunities. I know that's not what you're saying. But, like, if, if that's why people argue, like, Andy Pettit was better, it's like, well, you didn't give them both, like, a fair opportunity, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's my Like, I get it for someone like Kurt Schilling, who is a good pitcher whose postseason stats are phenomenal. But yeah. 
if we gave Kevin Brown 20 or 30, Andy Pettit has 30 like decisions in the, in the playoffs, we give Kevin Brown 30 decisions, I would imagine that's going to be pretty similar. Because mm-hmm. typically what happens in the postseason is it's such a small sample size that it's hard to tell, but what makes players impressive, you know, Derek Jeter's postseason success, but it typically balances out to what their average is. It's just in a small sample size, we can't get that. The more, play, the more games, more plate appearances they get, the more it becomes more normalized. So, I don't know. I Kevin Brown, it's similar to Kurt Schilling. He doesn't seem like the best guy, not on a Kurt Schilling level, but he seems like he, you know, he had some. He wasn't a great teammate. Kind of everyone says that, but he got he just won and was dominant for a stretch that was one of the hardest times for a pitcher. Yeah, those late nineties, the ball was going everywhere, and he was dominant. Yeah, um, I think now is just a good time to say it while we're on it. Uh, in my opinion, definitely underrated. Yes, yes, I hundred percent. I think we had the same idea. Like I was like, yeah, he's like a journeyman, but no. He was phenomenal. He was phenomenal. He's misremembered for that contract. He deserved the contract. Even I, I again, you don't give that contract to a thirty-four-year-old pitcher, but you do if you think, all right, we have three years to win a World Series. Then yeah, give it to him. Yeah, definitely. All right, talk to me about talk to me about your uh, your thoughts on not not or on Kevin Brown if you want, but I meant on Matt Holiday. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree with you on Kevin Brown. Underrated. And uh, we'll compare him to Matt Holliday and which player we'd rather have. But there are some cool things about Matt Holliday here. So his favorite player growing up, even though he lived in Oklahoma, was Kyle Ripken Jr. Oh, you know I love that. Yeah, and I would imagine that's like kids in our generation, Derek Jeter being their favorite player or something. Like those type of players transcend location or something. Absolutely. Um, So as a kid, he was physically larger than most of his friends. So when they played games... They often modified the rules to offset his size advantage. So, That's so funny. In football, he was required to play quarterback for both teams. And in baseball, every three of his home runs counted as one. That's so funny. That's so good. Just to be that dominant that your friend's like, all right, so the rules change when he's here. Yeah, like I uh, I didn't have any friends like that, to be honest. We, we all just kind of played. We didn't. Yeah. Um, we didn't have one, That's one awesome. friend who was that dominant. Yeah. Um, I guess we also, yeah, it's fair to say we didn't have a friend who became a professional athlete. That's that's reasonable. Yeah, that's true. Um, he is now the outfield and hitting coach at Oklahoma State University. Um, so that's just kind of neat. I didn't know that. And uh, I would be pumped uh, if I was a player on that team. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I, I imagine it would be tough. I'm just thinking of like the other people who went in for that interview. They're like, all right, come on, like, yeah, I was, I'm a good, I'm a good batting coach. Who am I up against? Oh, come on, Matt Holiday. That's not fair. Yeah, they're gonna go with him. Of course, no, they're gonna go with him. No chance. Yeah, that's so. Funny. Yeah. Um. While in high school, he was a touted quarterback prospect. He owned. He earned All American honors in football and baseball, and he earned his region's Gatorade Player of the Year in both sports, which is so cool. That's so cool. Just being someone like that, like yeah, just whatever, I, whatever field I step on, I am the best. That's awesome. Yeah, and he was the third best quarterback prospect in the nation after graduating from high school, but he still signed with the Rockies after they drafted him out of high school. Wow, that's awesome. So, let's see, what year was that? Nineteen ninety-eight. Drafted in ninety-eight. I want to know who the other prospects were 
Oh, wow. You can see if... Uh, yeah, I want to look that up now. you do a quick Google while I uh, recant one story. I guess this is more towards the listener as you see if you can find that. But in his next to last football game in high school, he helped his team come back from a 42 to 21 deficit by throwing three touchdowns in the final six minutes, winning the game 43 to 42. Oh my God. Really crazy. Um, so the other QBs, so the class of, of 1998 was known as the year of the quarterback. Wow. It, wow. it produced such standout senior, uh, high school seniors. So there's a couple I don't know. So Drew Henson, I know because he started at Michigan above Tom Brady. He also then played for the Yankees. He's a cool two-sport athlete. Um, Matt Holliday, Michael Vick, Carson Palmer. What? Uh, it says Adam Dunn. I don't know if it's the same Adam Dunn. That would be wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is this is fascinating. See, so yeah, he was one of the the be- okay. Some of the early players, Dunn, Holiday, and Abrams would eventually choose baseball. So yeah, that's that Adam Dunn. Wow. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. That is awesome. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I, that that's why when I was reading that stuff about him as like a quarterback and like I was like, wow, Matt Holiday was like an incredible athlete. Like again, not a big power like strikeout a guy, just like a great hitter, great athlete. That's um, awesome. I yeah, I totally totally underestimated Matt Holiday. Yeah, that's why I'm really digging him right now. Uh, in 2014, he became just the fifth player in MLB history to amass nine consecutive seasons of at least 20 homers, 30 doubles. 75 RBIs and 80 runs scored. Okay, those are those are good numbers. Yeah, like uh it's like definitely a wide category of numbers, but they all are like okay, you would have thought there's maybe more players who have done that. Yeah. Um No, that's impressive. This is going to get you to love Matt Holiday. He was awarded Oh, how nice the, is he? Yeah, he was awarded the Daryl Kyle Good Guy Award by the St. Louis Baseball Writers Association of America because of his charity work and visits to children's hospitals. Wow. So I have a Daryl Kyle card, and I have no idea who he is. So I've always looked at him like, should I look into him today? We're eventually going to get Daryl Kyle because I have that that card. Yeah, he's another good guy in baseball, so always good when you stumble across those. So the good guys in baseball is like those two and then Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, right, according to the book that you had? Yeah, that is still the most ironic book cover. It's amazing. Um, Yep. uh, He holds the longest home run at Bush Stadium, 469 feet. Yeesh. My prediction, that will be broken by Ronald Acuna Jr., in the next five years. I don't know why. Uh, I guess Braves are NL. But he's, Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to break that. Wow. I I don't have much to say to that. But all right. I'm in. I'm intrigued. I cannot wait. I The thing is, that's going to happen. Or it might not. Someone else might break it or something. And I, I won't know. Because, you know, it's not something that's going to pop up really. Um, but maybe. Every day we'll check. <laughs> yeah. Um in 2006, he had a 498-foot home run in Colorado off Matt Cain. What? What? Yeah, 498-foot, and that is the official count on it. Um, but that the, that's, that's that might have a little bit of the Coors effect. Um, Still, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable, but that's not the longest home run hit in that stadium. Um, 
The what? long the longest home run hit in that stadium was hit in 2016 by an active player. Can you guess who it is? Were they on the Rockies? No. John Carlos Stanton. John Carlos Stanton, 504 feet. Yeesh. I didn't know that he ever hit one like over 500. Like that seems like something we should hear more about. Yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, he was on the Marlins, of course. Um, and then last fun fact about Matt Holiday, uh, he and his wife met on a blind date, <laughs> double date set up by their friends. And I just thought that was cute. Adding that to my cute. love for Matt Holiday. A, I think I'm a Matt Holiday stan. I don't know how that happened, but here we are. Yeah. Like he, and he's like a better guy, like not a better player. He was a better player than I thought, but also just like. He's just a better guy than I thought. Like, there's not much to dislike, it seems like. I don't know. There might be something. I don't know. Yeah, there's always a chance that we miss something. And that yeah. It's, yeah. But from what we know, he seems great. Yeah. So, uh, and then I guess player comps. Uh, sorry. Uh, I guess player comps. Moises Alou, Maglio Odronias. Maglio. Uh, Sean Green, Ellis Burke. I don't know. Uh, well, wait, wait, wait. You don't know Sean Green? Sean Green is one of the best Jewish baseball players. So I think it's actually racist that you didn't know that. Oh, we no. loved Sean Green growing up. And he actually, one of my favorite Onion articles is about Sean Green. It's about different player superstitions. And it's about how on uh, every Saturday, yeah, every Saturday, he speaks a gibberish language and drinks wine because no one knows about Jewish players. It's a great one. Would recommend. Sean Green. We love Sean Green. Wait, Sean Green. Was he in backyard baseball? He was. Okay. He was. I do know Sean Green. I don't know why they put him in. He wasn't nearly good enough to be put in, but they did put him in. Good for back. Yeah, I mean, he. he yeah, that, I, I'm interested to learn more about Sean Green, though. That was that sounds pretty neat. Um, so yeah, Sean Green and Ellis Burke, um, and then some other names I don't know. So he was the 36 Jaws left fielder of all time, which is better than I wow. thought. Yeah. Um, and he's above several Hall of Famers on that list. Uh, he's above Lou Brock, who's a name I've definitely heard many times. Yeah. Um, and he's not on the Hall of Fame ballot yet. Uh, I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he'll get some yeah. votes. In my opinion, uh, he was a better hitter, like better complete hitter than I thought. But I don't think he has much of a Hall of Fame case. Um, maybe if his defense was better. Yeah, I think he should stick around for a couple of years. But yeah, he shouldn't make it. Like, it's interesting because before I'd have been like, cool that he got on it. Definitely one and done. Now I'm like, I... I would vote for him, I mean, depending. He he would not probably get a vote over, you know, nine or ten other people, but there are certain years where I'm like, six definites, and now there's four spaces where I would try to figure it out. I I could see him getting votes. I don't see him as that. I don't really see him cracking, like, 30%, but I could see him getting votes. Yeah, I think one thing that uh, helps him, and I, I don't think helps him in the fact it will get him in, but just the thing that's good about him that stands out because like we were saying like we don't even know if andrew jones should get in while like he was like elite elite for his period of time matt holiday never dropped off he never yep. um he was pretty much good until the end so uh he never he never was just like a wasted spot in the lineup yeah no for sure that's yeah no i'm i'm on board for matt holiday yeah so my my official takeaway um, I'm actually going to go underrated, even though his power was a bit less than I thought. He was a better complete hitter than I thought. So that's my takeaway. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. 
underrated. He was a very good player that I did not appreciate properly. He was, as I said, more than just, not even like more than just a power hitter. He wasn't a power hitter, and yeah. that's not a knock against him. That is, he was a more complete player than I gave him credit for. Yeah. Cool. So, which uh, player would you rather have on your team? A 2006 Matt Holiday. Uh, I'll read his stats and then you can give me Kevin Brown. Uh, 2006 Matt Holiday was uh, 34 homers, 114 RBIs, 326 batting average, 973 OPS. Really, really good year. That's a good year. I'd probably go with that, but 2001 Kevin Brown. Ten and four with a two point six five ERA. He was hurt, so it's not nearly as many innings pitched as normally. He or as normal. He only started twenty games, but still, I mean, one hundred fifteen innings is not nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, ERA plus of one fifty one. So Ooh. he was a very good pitcher. Um. Ooh, so what was Matt Holiday's WAR that year? Um. Let me scroll down. His war in 2006 was 3.4. Okay. Oh, all right. So uh, Kevin Brown, because he was hurt, his is low, 2.2. So I guess, yeah, the injuries take effect. So, yeah, probably Matt Holiday there. I think he's and just he's there playing the whole year. I'm not going to take basically half a year of Kevin Brown. He wasn't that dominant. Yeah, I would like uh I would probably go on my holiday too. I would like that name in my not name. I would like that those stats in my uh yeah. lineup. Um Yep. All right. So now, my 2001 Kevin Brown card. It's a it's a fine card. Actually, what's most interesting about it is you're not really going to be able to see it in the camera, but I'll read it out. Yeah. It gives the like the breakdown. It's not for his pitching the last couple of years. It gives a two, th- so it's two thousand pitching breakdown, and it breaks it down by home, away, day, night, grass, and turf. Whoa! I've never seen a card break it down that much, especially he played two games on turf. Like, why include that? But that is, that's to me, that's super cool because that's something I would expect now from like front offices to be like, all right, how does he pitch in every single situation? But back then, I didn't see that. And then his the analysis and. Okay, they just misspelled this word. They made it up. Analysis skills. I think they tried to combine the two. Um, and it says, Perfect blend of talent and determination. A true ace. An extremely fierce competitor on the hill. Absolutely nasty stuff. Good heater with movement and a wicked sinker. Durable and consistent. So, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. It's it's strong analysis skills. Should we have an analysis skills segment where we, we just really should. skills? Yes, analysis skills is awesome. Um, yeah, I, so my Matt Holiday is really basic. Can you see it? Um, uh, yeah. It's really basic, really not much to say. Uh, Two-year total, so he's still pretty young. Uh, mm-hmm. But it doesn't have any writing on the back other than his stats and like the other basic stuff. So I'm going to go with your Kevin Brown card here. I think I also have some other Matt Holiday cards anyways. I just love how unique uh, those stats and the analysis skills are. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Because before I like really looked at the back, I was like, all right, this is a pretty boring card. But again, the breakdown that specific is awesome. And then first, just giving us the word analysis skills is huge. And yeah. then actually what it says is fun. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, so any connections between these two guys? Um, um, let's see, did they... Kevin Brown did they ever... retired in 2004, right? 
Uh, yeah, Kevin Brown. Oh five. Okay, what team was he on in 04? I'm going to try and find some batter 04 and 05, he was, he was the Yankees then. Oh, okay, that's right. Um, oh, okay, Matt Holiday was on the Rockies. They probably didn't play each other. Um, but let me see. So you can look up where they're from and see if there's anything else. Um, whereas I'm going to see if I can find any splits here. Yeah, I can't find it. I couldn't find any splits when I was looking. Um, oh, okay. But I might have missed something. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure there's gonna be too much overlap. Something that's interesting. I don't know. It is to me. It might not be to anyone else. Just based on the fact that they overlapped, but how long Kevin Brown played is that. So Kevin Brown was the twelve thousand eight hundred ninety fourth player in MLB history, and Matt Holiday was the sixteen thousand thirty second. So just that there were like three thousand players in between them. I don't know. I find that interesting. That is interesting, and there are some splits. So in 2004, one at-bat. Um, I guess, can you guess the result? We'll make it fun. Uh, Kevin Brown struck out Matt Holliday. Um, no. So Matt Holliday had an RBI double because his OPS was two. So that that's a double, right? Don't look at me for that stuff. Ooh, yeah. I'm, this sounds like really dumb if I'm wrong. But uh, it doesn't say what the hit was, but it says he had one hit and one at-bat RBI uh, OPS of two. I, I believe that's a double, but I don't know, uh, to be honest. Um, yeah, if you're wrong, you'll just look bad. <laughs> I'm sure you won't think about this for the rest of the time. <laughs> I know. Someone's going to be like, you idiot. That's not how OPS is calculated. Um, it seems to make sense, uh, and it won't let me switch the year, so maybe they played in 2005, but we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, <laughs> all right, well, hey, I'm glad I'm glad I got to learn more about Matt Holiday. I'm glad that I finally looked into Kevin Brown more, because I, I'm ready to go debate people about Kevin Brown when they're like, God, what a bad contract. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It, he's overpaid, don't get me wrong. The contract made sense for what the Dodgers are trying to do. They just had new owners had just bought the team and mm-hmm. said, Spend the money yeah. to win the championship. Yeah. A new GM was brought in. That's what was, you want, right? Like that's what exa- you want your the, owner to do. The GM, it's actually similar right now to what they with Andrew Friedman and so instead of being taken from Tampa, he was taken from the Montreal Expos, where they're very much a penny pinching team who did well, brought to the Dodgers, basically told, do the same thing, but spend as much money as you need. And so he looked at it and he said, Yeah, an ace is what you need to win. We're gonna pay for the ace. So look, I stand by it. Kevin Brown was done. He was done dirty by history. Yeah, I'll, I'll support you on that. Um, that was a good one. I really like that because I think we both actually learned a lot this episode. Yeah, hey, that's what it's all about. It's all about learning, baby. <laughs> it's just learning. This is purely educational. That's all we do. Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Mint Condition. We will see you next week. All right. Adios. Mint Condition a baseball card podcast is independently produced and recorded by Robbie Greenspan and Chris Branco. Special thanks to baseball historian and consultant Jack McWilliams.